Hey y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about coronavirus and what it has been doing to the whole fucking world. Uh, we're going to have a quick update on Bernie's campaign as well as the Young Turks Union drive. But first, how's week number four of quarantine going for you, Bushido? No, it's like week 100. It's not, <laughs> your, your math is off. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it it feels like forever at this point. Yeah, uh, it's weird. Uh, I feel like my version of quarantine is a little bit different than a lot of folks because uh, I've been doing so much mutual aid work uh, and specifically like working out of the office. Yeah. Like a lot of our volunteers and the folks we're working with are working remotely. Uh, but because I'm doing inventory stuff, I have to be in at the office and actually handling goods. Uh, and that means like two days a week I get to like work with people and we're all wearing masks and gloves and like drenched in bleach. Um, but it's still like, I, I feel like that's been keeping me sane. So uh, I, I just want to encourage everyone out there. If you're feeling a little bit stir crazy, if you're looking for stuff to do, uh, mutual aid and getting a neighborhood pod started are really, really good ways to keep yourself busy, give yourself something really, really good to do. And also like have some social interaction because uh, it gets really, really lonely just staring at the cats for days on end. What about you, Chris? How's uh, how's the baking? Uh, the baking is the baking is the thing. That's basically like what I'm doing at this point. Is uh, I am baking bread and I'm baking more bread, and then more bread. Um, I finally broke down and decided that given the unavailability of like whole wheat flour at any grocery store ever. Uh, because everyone is panic buying this shit, uh, that I was just gonna go ahead and, and buy a fifty pound bag of it. So now I've got. Uh, whole wheat flour for days along with my uh, regular bread flour. So I'm about to embark on the actual sourdough drive uh, and, and, and try all of the various methods to play around with making sourdough at home. And it should be fun. So uh, I will continue to bread post on Instagram and Facebook until somebody forces me to stop. And that ain't happening anytime soon. So I apologize, but you're getting pictures of bread and that's just the way it's going to be. Bread tube is is pivoting to actual bread. <laughs> also, I got to say, like shopping wholesale for supplies for like the inventory right? team, because like we've gotten some orders where like we're feeding entire communities here, like either encampments yeah. or public housing complexes or like people who live in, you know, duplexes and quadplexes whose neighbors are also like very insecure in this. So we have to go yeah. out and buy like 100 pounds of rice to feed like 30 families. Uh, and I have realized I'm going to shop wholesale from now on because like. I don't know if it's you've so ever looked better. at like a two pound can of tuna and been like, that'll last me a while, but it's, uh, <laughs> gives you some thoughts. Yeah. I mean, picking up, uh, the, the, those wholesale 50 pound bags of rice and beans is extremely satisfying. Although Plus it's uh, a workout. them around is a hell of a lot of work going up those stairs to the office. Yeah, no, but like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's deeply like, satisfying. I, one thing I didn't realize when I signed up for mutual aid is like my, my butt <laughs> is going to look great because I'm just constantly <laughs> climbing the stairs, like, like a couple dozen times. Cause like we have no elevator oh, to yeah. get up to the office. You have yeah, to climb yeah, yeah, these yeah. stairs. And so like you have 400 pounds or four 50 pound bags of various things. That means you're going to run 200 pounds of stuff up and down the stairs. Uh, and it's good. It's, it's really, it really working the glutes as it were. It absolutely is. And it's, uh, it's, it's really good that we're able to do like, uh, being able to split up those 50 pound bags into like portions that people can actually use in their households. Uh, and then keep doing that over and over again is a fantastic way that we can really stretch those donations 
to be much more impactful um, versus like just trying to go to like go to Ralph's and buy cans of beans, which are extremely useful and are, are legitimately like that's the only way you can help folks that don't actually have the capacity to cook for themselves. But the for the folks who can cook for themselves, you can make you can stretch those donations so much further by buying buying in bulk. And it's just it's one of those like, oh, hey, why didn't we think of this before? But now we're doing it. So it's cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our stories of the of the week. Uh, right yep. up at the top, uh, Bernie Sanders had some news the other day. Uh, made people Ugh. various shades of sad and angry, um, and like weirdly also made Biden supporters angry and confused because I feel like they're oh, yeah. caught in this. That's been weird. Well, they're caught in this trap where they got what they wanted. But they didn't really want it. Like they ordered a, a steaming shit sandwich, and when it showed up at the table, they're like, "Oh, oh, uh, well, I guess we got to eat it now." So uh, let's oh, talk about Bernie. Yes, man. Yeah. So uh, that that was how I got to wake up on on Wednesday, and um, just from a personal perspective, that was rough. Uh, seeing the, the the tweet come out from the Bernie Sanders campaign of saying, hey, we've got a, a live update coming out in 15 minutes uh, was just, you know, as soon as you saw that text, my, my stomach just dropped out. Um, and it was just a just completely gut-wrenching experience. But what is going on right now is that Bernie has officially suspended his campaign. Uh, as he pointed out in the uh, the thank you uh, speech, the, the the broadcast he did, uh, his name is still on the ballot in the remaining states. Um, I although I did hear that New York apparently is trying to do some uh, classic rat fucking and uh, get his name off of the ballot, along with getting the names of every other suspended campaign off the ballot. It's amazing that in the state of New York, you have to register to vote like four years before the primary. Dude, but somehow they're able to edit the ballot like mere weeks before the primary. Like that, that's that's a fascinating process they have to know. As, as a quick tangent, um, the fact that Mayor Cuomo, or not Mayor, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York is getting like all this praise from the mainstream media and <sighs> from the fucking sycophants in the, in the democratic party. And there's people being like, we should put him as the nominee. It's like, y'all do realize that he literally fucking cut Medicaid during the middle of all this shit. He passed, he signed into law some of the most draconian un like bail unreform that can possibly fucking happen. He has botched this whole fucking thing. He used the coronavirus as the, the kind of leverage point to get them to undo bail reform because he's ultimately a shitty human being who wants to lock people in cages for the crime of not having enough money because Cuomo is ultimately a fucking Republican. Like, and on top the of DNC all this, the DNC is basically Republicans at this point, and yes. it's really painful and dumb to see. And for all the people, they're like, yep. well, what if Joe came out and said he would do Medicare for all? It's like, well, if a fox walked up to me and them. said, I'm going to take really good care of your hens, can I have the guard job? I would still say, fuck you, no, I don't believe you. Like, yeah. you don't have to believe everything that comes out of somebody's mouth. Like, Joe Biden lies all the fucking time. That's what he does. If he's not yep. making stuff up and forgetting where he's at, he's probably lying. We don't need to believe him. And this really, really ridiculous, like, pain all of a sudden where he's like, oh, we need you. We need your support. It's like, where the fuck was this energy when you were literally telling Bernie supporters to vote for someone else or accusing immigration activists of being Trump supporters? Like, you realize cameras exist and we record this stuff. Right, Joe? 
Yeah, and like that clip from 2018, I think it was, uh, that summer when he's like uh, basically dismissing everyone under the age of 40 being like, you guys talk about how hard it is. Give me a break. It's like, okay, uh, fuck you. Uh, empathy is a thing, and you should really learn it if you want to get any of our goddamn votes because if you don't understand that times are tough, uh, in the le- even before the coronavirus destroyed the economy and put you know tens of millions of people on the precipice of becoming fucking homeless, if you didn't understand that things were tough for our generation and you know the one after us before this virus hit, you've got no fucking chance of winning us over. Uh, and like the only the only reason why people are going to be voting for Biden from the from the younger generations is basically going to be harm reduction and. Uh, you know, in California, well, doesn't fucking matter. So uh, vote for uh, vote for Howie or somebody like third party. But anyway, yeah, uh, no, it's going to be, you know, I just go back to that Schumer quote from 2016 that, you know, for every blue collar oh, worker they fuck. lose in Michigan, they're going to pick up two uh, <laughs> moderate Republican ish voters in the Pennsylvania suburbs. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's just going to play itself out again. Like the enthusiasm it's gap the here. Thing is real and it's large and because our electoral college still exists for some stupid fucking reason it's very easy to see trump's path to victory like it's really easy to see how he picks up enough states to cross the finish line uh and joe biden doesn't you know i don't think florida is going to be any friendlier to joe biden than it was to hillary clinton um, and especially when we what look at Wisconsin and Michigan and all the rest of the, the battleground yep. states in the Midwest that used to be solidly blue, you know, they're all back in play. And now when you look at a state like Arizona that is like purple-ish, I think it's going to go red. Like I don't see people in Arizona voting for Joe Biden in record numbers. I think that Donald Trump is going to win that state again. And that's a real problem because that's one that should be flippable. Like with everything that has happened in the last four years – the fact that like any purple state will probably go red now is the greatest failing of the Democratic Party. Well, and they just fucking death marched all of those supporters who came out to vote in those last couple of primaries that have been happening. It's like, why during a global pandemic, why would you keep voting going the way it's been? Why would you not immediately like halt all in-person elections this absolutely can and must be moved to mail-in ballots and like figure that shit out, put everything on ice until, you know, we've got it figured out because it's a thing that can be done. And for the sake of people's lives, it must be done. But on top of all that, just from a political perspective, it's stupid to put everyone at risk who are your most like ardent supporters, like in, in these swing States, they've managed to continue to hold, like in Michigan, they put, so many people's like you can demonstrably point to the fact that they still had that fucking election and the number of poll workers who are infected and dying from this and the number of people who went out to vote who are infected and dying from this. That blood is on the hands of the goddamn DNC and the fact that they didn't put this election on hold or switch it to mail in ballots uh, in light of what is going on in a global health crisis like it is. Well, unforgivable. I think it, unforgivable. You know, that they did that. unfortunately, I think it was a reasonable move by the Sanders campaign to suspend the campaign. Like it's not fully over. You yeah, can still exactly. vote for him. He can still collect delegates. Like he's just sort of like sitting on he's the bench. He's not. He's not dreams. all the way in the locker room getting ready to leave for a bad sports analogy. But I think it was reasonable <laughs> of him to do this because 
the other option is to keep sending people out to vote in these conditions because the DNC yeah. has shown that they would rather risk people's lives than find a reasonable way to allow people to participate in the democratic process. And this comes on the yes. heels of like all of these precinct closures, people having a much harder time to vote. Like the problems we've seen this year are not any better than we saw in 2016 when we had these exact same problems. And it's, you know, when you're fighting a, a party that is this corrupt and this rigged, I think at some mm -hmm. point in the midst of a crisis, throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, this isn't a fight worth having. There is better work to be done here is not a bad yeah. move because, again, Senator Sanders is still a senator and he's been doing a lot of work and he has been working his ass off Absolutely. in Washington, something that Joe Biden hasn't been doing, hiding in his basement, um, perhaps in front of a green screen. We can't really tell. <laughs> like... And it's amazing to me also that like after months of saying, hey, we don't know how to like hold a teleconference call. We don't know how to talk to the public digitally. They were able to hold a Zoom call with donors who are willing to give like 3,500 bucks. Like if the price is right, Joe Biden knows how to make a Zoom call. And that's ultimately going to be the problem. Yeah. Like Hillary Clinton collected a shit ton of money and did nothing useful with it. And we're going to see that playing out again and again. And this isn't even like... I'm just going to flag here that the Hillary for America, which is still around, God only knows why, sent oh, out a, an email on. to all of their staffers to come, you know, celebrate the fact that Bernie Sanders was suspending his campaign. Because really, like, that's the celebration there is that the only person out there fighting for us, saying you deserve health care and education, the only person on the presidential campaign trail that's saying this country and this economy is broken and it's up to us to fix it. Yeah, that's the person that you want to send away, not, you know the fucking family whose patriarch is on the fucking Epstein flight logs dozens of fucking times, Hillary. Why is your husband on the flight logs? Why won't you answer that question, Hillary? If you're going to open your mouth, talk about that. Slash rant. And on top of all this, we've got Chelsea Clinton trying to insert herself into the conversation, uh, pointing out that antibiotics uh, don't actually help with this kind of thing, which is, you know, that's a useful point to make. Um, but again... If, you're, if your last name is Clinton and you're not talking about uh, just stepping back from all interactions with the public, uh, just just shut up. Well, like, and like, we don't need to be here. And Chelsea you. Clinton has never done anything useful. Like she was given no. high paying jobs because her last <laughs> name was Clinton. Married she married Sachs. a yeah, she married a fucking hedge fund manager, <laughs> like a wealthy, ghoulish piece of shit uh, who sees our lives as his profit center. Like oh wait, and then who did she have as a guest at her wedding? Oh, just Jislaine uh, Maxwell. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. Weird. It, almost as though like the whole Epstein thing. And like this isn't to like, you know, neither Chris or I really caught the symptoms of like uh, Epstein brain. Epstein but at the brain. same time, like <laughs> the fact that that happened only a few short months ago and it feels like a lifetime and also has oh, never been addressed. Well, like QAnon is going off ago. about how. COVID is all just a cover for a massive rescue of like children who are being held in <laughs> underground sex dungeons across the world. Like, ugh. Something's got to bit, right? Like the, the did center you catch cannot that, hold. That thing. No, you're right. But did you catch that? Uh, I, I was not aware of this, but there was apparently a QAnon linked theory to the uh, uh, USNS Mercy, where they were saying that it was in, it was arriving in Los Angeles to uh, take the pedophiles uh, through the Panama Canal over to Guantanamo, um, because apparently that's how logistics work for <laughs> arresting pedophiles in the QAnon mines. Uh, special thanks to Scott Frazier from LA Podcast for bringing that little tidbit of information into my brain this week. Uh, Just, good times. I, I, oh my God. <laughs> Boomers in the internet were a bad idea.
Oh no, you're right. Absolutely. This is uh, okay. But yeah, before <sighs> yeah, we uh, before we, we get to uh, too bogged down in the the details of insane conspiracy theories that will probably lead to the death of us all. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the coronavirus in California. Uh, we've been tra- tracking the numbers um, and also kind of like yeah. what's been going on with our state and local yep, officials yep. Uh, to flag at the top for you all. Uh, the uh, lockdown in the state of California has been extended until May 15th. I do personally expect yep. that we're going to see it go longer based on sort of the epidemiological research that I've been looking at. Um, it looks like at least halfway through June, if not all the way through July, depending on how safe our our state and local leaders want to be. But yeah, May 15th is uh, very much a hopeful date. And honestly, if we did leave lockdown on May 15th, we would simply see another resurgence of cases in July or August. Absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely what would happen. We, we've got so many of these global pandemics uh to like not so many but we have there are examples to look at when it comes to those recurring spikes and that's exactly what we would see here uh so let's hope that they're gonna you know keep continue to be sober in their analysis of all this but uh as of 10 p.m last night there are 21,374 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California we had 1,162 new confirmed cases on Friday and uh, a week ago, just for some point of reference, that total number of confirmed cases stood at 12,639. So we are nearly double that at this point. But it is very good to see that the doubling isn't happening on the, on the two to three day basis that we were looking at from a worst case prediction that it actually took a whole week. But again, uh, bear in mind that these are the confirmed cases. And there is a huge number of folks who are contracting the virus and we are never going to know about it because we just don't do not have the testing infrastructure in place to actually have any reasonable semblance of an idea of how bad this actually is. Well, and it's also uh, we, we know from reporting out of New York that there's a lot of folks yeah. uh, who are dying at home undiagnosed and that they're not being until yes. recently they were not being counted in official COVID fatalities. New York has since changed the reporting on that. And that's one reason we saw the number of deaths spike dramatically last week. Yeah. But there are a lot of people not being captured here. Uh, and it's also, you know, the testing that we do have in the state of California is concentrated around our cities. California is a really, really big state. Now, granted, most of our population lives in coastal cities, but there's still about 40% of our population that lives out in the rural parts of California. They're not being as intensely tested and watched as yep. we are here in the cities. And it, like when the when it's all said and done, I think a lot of these numbers are going to go up once researchers have a chance to actually look at this stuff in the next couple of years, but it's going to take a while to get a full accounting on this one. So, you know, as much as these numbers look better than they could be, I'm still a little bit skeptical. I don't think they're worst case scenario, but I think they're higher than what's being reported just because of the limits of what we're able to study and test and verify at this point. Absolutely. So right now we've got, or as of 10 p.m. last night, uh, 598 deaths in the state due to the virus. 51 of them happened yesterday. And I, I do want to say nationally, we crossed a very dire milestone the other day oh, yeah. where we had more than 2000 deaths across the nation. Um, you know, we're basically seeing like a 9-11 of Americans every single day now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really bad. There was um, there was a chart that was trending on Reddit uh, yesterday or two days ago that shows like 
each pixel in the ch- in the chart uh, represented a, a, a death, and then it was arrayed in in the shape of uh, in the shape of flags, where the flag was stretched by the number of pixels, and it was an animation that shows how quickly things have escalated and how bad it really is from a perspective that was just extremely sobering um and we'll, we'll put a link to that uh in the in the show yeah i mean in, in any other period of time something killing you know 500 californians in a month yeah. would be headline news um and i think the lockdown and the incredibly anxious period of time we have is kind of skewing mm-hmm. our perspectives personally on time and like it's hard to understand what's going on and how time is passing because things are so disrupted for everyone I mean, I'm having a real hard time keeping track of which day it is, uh, you know, without looking at an actual like looking at my phone and actually reading what day it is it say it is, and looking at the like my Google Calendar to see what what's supposed to be happening. Uh, it's it's just spooky. Days are a white um, supremacist concept. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, okay, well, one bright spot here is that the number of new cases reported each day does appear to be leveling off here in California. So if you plot out the number of new cases each day and the seven-day moving average, that average line has legitimately flattened out in the last few days. And I've heard reporting in the BBC that uh, reporting of the new cases tends to taper off during weekends and religious holidays, at least in Spain, uh, which was like a a caveat that they were presenting when when talking about these the same kind of leveling off impact that they're seeing over there. Uh, and it's worth pointing out that all of last week was a holy week, so who knows? Um, it's possible that we've got some built-in underreporting, but I am hopeful that we have actually started to see a flattening of the new cases that are being reported. Uh, of course, this is uh, sadly something that cannot be said of the number of deaths. Uh, it is continuing to trend very much upward, and it is just absolutely devastating. And if you look at the, like, there recently some racialized uh, data has come out uh, where people are actually tracking what the impact of this virus is on different communities, in uh, mainly in urban centers. But if you look at like in Michigan and you look in Chicago, there's something like a three to one disparity in terms of the number of deaths in the African-American populations in those cities and states uh, relative to their their population uh, because we live in a racist fucking country with a, you know, a systematically racist white supremacist structure to it that has a massively disparate in- impact on health outcomes for people who are contracting this virus. It is overwhelmingly people of color and people who are working class who are being just wiped out by this virus. Uh, rich white people, not so much. No, well, we're also we're seeing in Queens, um, that's kind of the epicenter of New York's outbreak. It is largely yeah. centered in immigrant uh, neighborhoods yep. um, and immigrant neighborhoods that don't have as dense a population as Manhattan. So like even though Queens has one third the population of Manhattan, they have three times the deaths. Um, and then yeah. if you look at a city like New Orleans, um, which was, you know, oh, the, the black pap- population be... of New Orleans was devastated by Hurricane Katrina and the lack of rebuilding efforts there and is now bearing the brunt of this as well, because there's a lot of economic uh, inequality that's leading to that. There's a lot of like lack of hospitals, lack of medical care, uh, a lot of uh, skepticism of the system. When people don't get sick, they don't necessarily think to go to a hospital. Um, and because the information campaigns have been kind of like slow to ramp up and especially to reach people who are kind of like low information or are not 
plugged into the internet, people don't know that that their sickness could be something more dire, something more sinister. And with COVID, it can accelerate very quickly. Um, just the way that the this disease attacks the body and the way that it basically stops your lungs from being able to oxygenate your blood because it's mm -hmm. viciously attacking one of the two types of cells in your lungs and basically causing not only a pneumonia reaction where like you're almost drowning in your own lungs, but also causing where when you are breathing, you're not taking in oxygen as well. So the, the mechanical mm -hmm. stimulation of ventilators isn't as effective because it's not just that lungs tire themselves out grasping for air. It's that the body fun fundamentally isn't oxygenating itself. And then on top of that, it is so like one of the things that COVID does is it reprograms some of your immune system cells to attack your own body and causes like real chaos in your immune system that weakens your immune system after you recover, meaning that you are very open to bacterial infections after that. So there's a whole double whammy effect here that's really hitting people who are vulnerable because even if like you manage to make it through the initial sickness just at home and just fighting it off yourself and like taking Mucinex and like NyQuil and stuff, once you recover from it, a small bacterial infection could really explode in your system and overwhelm you very quickly and you go septic. So like there's a lot of dangers here that require like very specific and uh, intense medical care in order to make sure that everyone's safe. And we just have not invested the money in those resources to make sure they're available to everyone. Yeah. And on top of that, we're putting, you know, when we talk about like the climate crisis hitting frontline communities, the same same thing is happening for people who are being impacted by this virus. We've got overwhelmingly people of color who are working in these, you know, essential employee positions who are continuing to run convenience stores and grocery stores and food delivery and all of these other, you know, what has now been rendered as an essential service, which means that they have to keep working. They have to keep being exposed to this, uh, the, the pandemic and, and, and having to deal with the, you know, the difficulty of keeping yourself safe while continuing to interact with people in an environment that you have to show up to because if you don't, you're going to starve or become homeless. Like, this whole system is so fucked up for all of that. And there was also this really just weird misinformation that was apparently going out, and they, again, they talked about this on the BBC yesterday, where... Uh, people were telling black communities that you couldn't catch the virus if you were black. And it's just absolutely fucking wild that there, there was this kind of misinformation that was spreading. Um, but also it, it, even if, even if that misinformation wasn't out there, the fact that, you know, people are wage slaves and have to continue to do these jobs to not die, uh, means that they're putting themselves at risk of dying because of the system, like these companies do not give a shit about their employees if they're going to force them to continue to do this work without proper PPE. And, uh, you know, uh, I, it's just everything is so fucked up right now, man. Yeah, it's so fucked up. I mean, it does look like uh, the the shelter at home orders are having some good impacts, though, yeah. and are, are at least like flattening the curve. Uh, a lot better than a lot of us anticipated at first, um, even though the city of Los Angeles appears to be kind of having a, a little bit of a hard time really committing to shelter at home based on the number of people who are out and some of the traffic patterns we're seeing. But nonetheless, uh, yeah. it is a bit of a bright spot. Exactly. So we, we are seeing that happening, but also uh, conservative voices continuously calling saying, you know, that whole bullshit thing about the cure can't be worse than the disease when it comes to the economic impacts, but they're going to, you know, try to kill us off. So 
these conservative voices in politics and the media do seem hell-bent on all of that. And But here in California, our health officials do have uh, more sober heads on their shoulders through all of this. Politico did some reporting on the efficacy of the shelter-at-home program, especially where it was, you know, most stringently impact, you know, implemented and uh, earliest implementation in, in California with San Francisco. Quote, in Santa Clara, Health Officer Sarah Cody told county supervisors this week that she wants a sustained reduction in new cases for at least 14 days, or one incubation period, before considering changes to her shelter-in-place order. San Francisco doctors are optimistic after not seeing a New York-like surge, but also think it's too early to ease the rules. Uh, quoting from Bob Wachter, they say, In San Francisco today, we had 56 new diagnoses. That's too hot to think about relaxing the restrictions. Uh, Bob Wachter is the chair of medicine uh, department at the University of California, San Francisco's medical school. And he said this on Wednesday and continued, quote, that means there is a fair amount of virus going around. And if people go out and go back to their old life, there's no reason to believe it wouldn't spread, end quote. So. The biggest factor here is that until the number of cases really does drop out, it does not matter how much testing you do, which we're not doing nearly enough. Um, the number of people interacting with infected folks is just going to be too high for us to risk going back to business as usual. Um, Politico continued to quote Bob Wachter, uh, saying that, quote, the biggest factor by far is the diminishing number of cases that swamps everything. If it's still hot in your community, then you're not ready to move on, even if you have all the tests in the world. Let's say it's four to five weeks from now. I think we will have sufficient testing capacity to meet that need, end quote. And what they're talking about here is that once the number of new cases starts to dwindle and you're able to do like actual you know, tracing of contacts, uh, you can then implement a real strategy to to go about maybe opening back up the economy to some degree, getting people to be able to go back out and actually, you know, go to restaurants and and go back to business as usual to some limited degree. Like there's uh, this investigation, like they have literal, you know, ins- investigators in Iceland that are running around doing contact tracing because they've got the tests and they've got you know some. Not full shelter at home orders, but like stay at home if you can, but also, you know, engaging in decent social distancing practices. They've been able to keep the the virus from exploding because they, you know, actually have the infrastructure for this. And we just don't. And until we finish ramping up that infrastructure, you know, we have to engage and continue to actually practice sheltering at home and staying out of these public gatherings because that's the only way we can stop this from just devastating our communities because so many people are asymptomatic carriers or you're shedding the virus for a long period. Like we need to get this under control and the 14 days minimum, like it's going to be a while and just be prepared. Yeah. So it's the whole thing is just super fucking depressing. Um, but it's glad I'm glad to see that our health officials in the state of California and like, like the county of Los Angeles have at least a sober head on their shoulders looking at this and that they're not in a rush to throw us uh, and our bodies into the meat grinder of global capitalism, uh, unlike so many people on Fox News and everywhere else. Um, but looking at the economic impact, uh, you shared a number of articles with me that started me down a very deep and dark hole. And then I went and found more that made me even more mad about how this is all fucked up. Um, but we're, we're going to start out by talking about the fact that 
the small businesses, uh, you know, that are supposed to be at the root of the American economy and that are supposed to be championed by leaders from both parties. And they, they are always talking about how much better their party is for small businesses than the other party is because of impacts on regulations and, and taxation and all of these other things. But in from, from Market Watch this week, uh, they were saying that 43% of small businesses say they will have to permanently close within six months without some sort of quick cash infusion or fast improvement in economic conditions, according to a Friday survey that gives another look into the coronavirus outbreak's swift and severe economic damage, end quote. Um, a couple of more results out of that survey, 24% have already shut down on a temporary basis. And 40% of the small businesses that are still open say they will probably have to close temporarily within the next two weeks. Though 43% of the 500 polled businesses say they can't survive without some sort of government assistance and or change in economic conditions, 46% say the economy needs between six months and a year to return to the way it was. Uh, They're also saying that 54% of those surveyed said that the American economy is in quote-unquote poor health, which I'm honestly shocked to see that that number isn't higher. I mean, it's, it's interesting that the federal government is running, you know, the, uh, the payroll protection plan where they're basically offering uh, guaranteed forgivable loans um, through the banks, which is like a whole other level of grift that we're not going to get into right now, but we're seeing the, the PPP program being flooded by like tech startups and companies that already have a lot of money and a lot of capital, but not a lot of employees, but we're not seeing small businesses like the mom and pop, like coffee shops or convenience stores or, you know, fabric stores, like the stores that are actually direly in need of this help to stay open. They're not accessing the system and they're not getting the help that they need, which is dumb as hell. Like we're, we're simply seeing this program that's supposed to be funneling money to main street being used to just funny money, funnel money directly to wall street again. And we see this time and again in all of these bailouts because the people who write the bailouts are coming from those industries. They come from banking. They come from investing. (laughs) These are people who go to Ivy leagues and then work their way up through like big name corporations and then go work for like powerful senators and congressional uh, representatives and then write legislation that is friendly to their friends and their industry and not to the people who actually fucking need it. And this is going to be a huge problem because the majority of Americans that are employed are employed by small businesses. Like, if this part of the American economy drops out, we lose the center of the economy. Large corporations do not employ most of us. Like they're Correct. not the majority uh, source for most people's paychecks. And if those stores disappear, A, nobody's moving into those commercial leases, B, nobody's picking up that payroll, and C, nobody's going to be able to do anything for those owners who are now declaring bankruptcy. Like the cascade yep. effect here will be absolutely brutal. And what we're going to see when we come out of this, if we keep going the same way, is the 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 black st- the uh, the Blackstones of the world, the um, Chases, the Wells Fargo's are going to sweep in and buy up a lot of cheap stuff again, and not really care about keeping it stocked or keeping it full or actually running businesses out of it. They're just going to acquire assets and then try and bleed the last bits out of this rock. And it's really disturbing because like the solution to all of this is just to give people money. Right. Like right now, the bailout is like for every American, we're each giving eighteen thousand dollars to corporations and we're each being given twelve hundred dollars, which you have to pay fucking taxes on, by the way. So like, wait, what? Yeah, you have to pay taxes on the twelve hundred bucks. 
Yeah. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. Man. No, it's, Come it's on. And for a lot of people, it's not going to affect Ugh. your like tax status. Like that twelve hundred bucks isn't gonna kick you up into That's like just... a higher tax bracket. But even the fact that it's being taxed, the fact that like you will fucking have to account for this on your taxes and the IRS counts it as income is the dumbest fucking shit. Because it was our money to begin with. Like yep. ugh. God damn it, Chris. Dude. <laughs> I think that this is going to go down as like the angriest of all the podcasts we've ever done. Like it took us, it took us 103 podcasts and we've reached peak anger. I wonder if it's just going to keep going well, up no, from it's, here. It's but- like the thing that is just, and like, you know, I forgot to mention this at the top, but like stick around at the end. Cause I'm putting on a, a, a one time only like economy explainer song, song at the end of this podcast. So listen <laughs> to it because it talks about a lot, but the thing is money is just a thing we made up. Like we can just literally oh, yeah. make trillions of units of currency and in Break a computer shit, and give it to whoever the fuck we want. And we're still pretending that giving somebody who only earns like $480 a week on minimum wage, a full $600 a week in unemployment is a moral hazard, right? That like giving them what they need oh, to, God, to, to afford their housing, their food, their medication is somehow yep. a fucking bad thing. But Jeff Bezos and Amazon who don't pay their fucking taxes are being given all sorts of loopholes so they don't have to shut down while they attack people who are trying to unionize their coworkers to protect themselves from a deadly fucking virus. Like, just keep in mind, a, a good guillotine costs about $1,200 to build. So when that check yeah, lands, I'm just saying. Out. <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, in related reporting uh, coming out of the Wall Street Journal, one of those fantastic liberal rags, that exists out there that is definitely completely left-wing, and I'm not going to continue with the sarcasm. Quote, nearly a third of the U.S. apartment renters didn't pay any of their April rent during the first week of the month, according to new data released uh, to be released on Wednesday last week by the National Multifamily Housing Council and a consortium of real estate data providers. The numbers are the first hard look at how many Americans are struggling to make rent during the coronavirus pandemic. The data can, can, the data comes in come in the first. Oh God, I can't. Plural of data is data. The data come in the first of weekly reports of unpaid rent from NMHC. Of course, that is the National Multifamily Housing Council. That's a fun little acronym there. A landlord trade group. And when we're talking about guillotines, yeah, uh, fill in the blank. So this then leads on to. So it's it's kind of fun seeing the the panic in the Wall Street Journal about all of these investors uh, who are suddenly looking at not getting a guaranteed return on investment. Like, here's Um, the thing. So when you invest, they make a really big point of saying an investment is a fucking risk. Like, you're not guaranteed anything. But all of these investors are angry that they're not getting their guaranteed returns that don't fucking exist because that's how capitalism works. Yeah. You invested in a building, you took a risk, the risk doesn't pay out, you fucking lose. That's a capitalism, buddy. I think I think people legitimately just don't understand that real estate is an investment and it does have risk. They somehow thought that rent is like risk free, but it's like, no, bruh, like things are a little bit more complicated than that when uh, you start to realize that the entire economy is just a giant house of cards and all it takes is uh, a global health crisis to make everything completely fucking crash to the ground. If you're a landlord Um, afraid that your tenants aren't going to pay the rent, why don't you just simply go to the tenant store and buy yourself some better tenants? (laughs) 
or while they just get a fucking job. But I digress. Uh, so let's move on to some really fun racist ass shit that's been going on out here where, of course, everyone is now continuing to blame China because it's the China virus, according to our president, who is a fucking moron. Hey, fun so, fact. Where did the Spanish flu originate? Uh, oh, wait, that's right. It was in Spain, wasn't it? No, it was a flyover state in the U.S. at a hog market, a a wet market, as they say, which, by the way, just to, like, clear something up, a wet market mm. isn't, like, an incredibly gross place where, like, there's animal, like, you know, leavings and, like, effluent and everything everywhere. It simply means a market that sells food. So, like, when you go yep. to a green grocer, that's a wet market. When you go to, like, a 99-cent store that doesn't sell, like, food items, that's a dry market. Like, that means that they aren't selling food drugs. So that's what a, stores. yeah, a wet market versus a dry market is. But, of course, in the incredibly racist American media sphere, we've turned an innocuous phrase into something very dangerous and insidious sounding. Yeah, and it's a bunch of bullshit. So uh, pointing out really quick, just for a little bit more context on the Spanish flu so that people are aware, the reason why it's called the Spanish flu is because uh, we had basically a conspiracy amongst the government and the media to not report on anything negative in this country because it was during World War One, and they didn't want people to get freaked out about bad things happening. So they covered up the spread of the Spanish flu, which originated here in this country. They covered it all up because they didn't want people to be freaking out. Uh, but we and all so know what the real Spanish flu died. was, Chris. What's that? That was Franco's fascism. Oh, okay. well, yeah, fair. Um, but anyway, the reason... <laughs> But the reason why it was called the Spanish flu is because Spain didn't uh, didn't stop the reporting. And so the first major stories about that epidemic uh, came out or the pandemic, rather, that those stories first originated in Spain. That's where it first got publicity. So it was called the Spanish flu. But, yeah, that was homegrown right here in the U.S. of A. So uh, anyway, uh, quote, an attorney who represents represented victims of the Las Vegas shooting massacre has filed a federal lawsuit against China's government over the new coronavirus, saying Tuesday that officials hid information about the outbreak and that U.S. small businesses should receive billions of dollars trillions. in damages. Trillions. They're, su they're suing for trillions of dollars. Uh, yeah, so this is a case that is seeking class action status for 32 million businesses for lost incomes and profits. Um, yeah, well, so here it gets even more fun when you realize that, uh, this racist ass shit is not happening just here in the U S but of course also happening in the UK, but really quick, uh, the reporting that reporting was coming out of the one from the Las Vegas, uh, lawsuit bullshit. Uh, that was reporting from the AP. Okay, there we go. Just wanted to make sure that we include that before we move on. So uh, from Express, which, you know, I'm not any kind of an expert on the reliability of the rags over in the UK, but let's just go in into it anyway. So, quote, China should be made to pay reparations for covering up the outbreak of coronavirus. But given they are unlikely to do so if the government pursues this through the courts, then the UK could seize assets and halt repayment of the sovereign debt that Britain owes Beijing, an expert has claimed. Dr. Alan Mendoza, executive director of the Henry Jackson Society, which that I bet we could have a lot of fun looking into that one, told express.co.uk, quote, were the UK to pursue a claim against China and secure a judgment that mandated compensation and were China then 
to ignore, there's a typo there, uh, ignore it, we would be entitled to pursue any lawful means for collection on that judgment. The possibilities might include seizing Chinese state-owned property or halting repayment on Chinese-owned sovereign debt. End quote. China may be the world's second largest economy behind the U.S., but it has more money in the bank than any other country. Thank you, Express. First off, I think it's great that the U.K. has their own Howard Jarvis and they even have the same initials. <laughs> like, fantastic. <laughs> but also, um, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, nope. it makes zero fucking sense. Like, paying sovereign debt in the forms of, like, treasuries that have been bought and claiming you don't have to pay interest on the bonds that another person owns as part of, like, a completely separate legal settlement, I don't think is supported by any court in the fucking world. Like, nowhere. Like, even when the U.S. has sued China, we have not stopped our interest payments. Like, that is insane bullshit right there and would literally just destroy the world economy in one second. Like if a national government oh, yeah. came out and said, we don't have to pay you the interest on the debt that we, that you own, the economy <laughs> would collapse. Virus. Like the dollar standard would <laughs> evaporate overnight. International trade would come to a screeching halt. Like every oh, yeah. sovereign nation would suddenly be holding trillions of dollars in worthless debt that they can never get paid on. Oh my Buddha, that would, that would be so bad for everything. Yeah, it would really expose the fact that everything is just a giant house of fucking cards and it's a sham. Yeah. But uh, the really fun thing here is thinking about the fact that the <laughs> just the idea that anyone in the UK would be demanding reparations from literally anywhere, but especially China, is is like okay, the only place where you could be more tone deaf about demanding reparations would be like. Uh, India. Well, like the, the um, Chinese I would think. just counter sue for like the fucking opium wars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you want to sue us for coronavirus? Remember that time you overthrew our government to run like an opium cartel? Yeah, we're going to we're going to need some money for that. These people are so fucking stupid. So well, fucking also, stupid. I, I think it says a lot about capitalism and the small business tyrant mindset that when like a global pandemic hits, their mind immediately goes to let's sue our way out of it. Like, the way that we fix this is through lawsuits and lawyers and the courts and financial settlements. Like, it's also one where, like, these small business owners, they're not suing on behalf of their employees, right? They're not suing to, like, make their payroll. They're suing to line their own fucking pockets. And, like, that's the part that's still kind of amazing to me is, like, all of these people that are talking about doing this, they have capital. Like they have like yep. financial resources that they can draw on. Their employees don't, but they don't give a flying fuck about their employees because their employees are just a way for them to make money. And as I, you know, as we started at the top of this and something I like to flag is that capitalism is a rabid bitch that will eat her own children. And that's what we're immediately seeing here is like yep. with these Republicans and other people saying, Hey, we should go back to work now. Like the economy is suffering. We must lubricate the machine with your blood. Otherwise the yep. machine will get angry and stop working. Like yep. that's a bad economic system. That is a terrible yep. economic system. We can just stop doing this. Like we can stop doing it so quickly. It would be amazing. Yep. And we're, we're kind yep. of like making strides towards that. You know, like as dumb as the bailout is, it fundamentally proves our point that like modern monetary theory can work, that we can just give people money, that we can just print money, that we can just pay for the things Yay. that we need. And, you know, that would work if we also stopped paying for all the bombs and shit. You know, like that gives us $1.6 trillion a year we could use to build hospitals and give everyone face masks and like 
teach everyone um, really nifty handshakes where you don't actually shake each other's hand, but do kind of a pantomime dance. Like <laughs> we could invest a lot of money in handshaking alternatives to survive this, but instead we're still building drones. Well, so, so uh, a quick, I've got two quick notes before we move on. Um, first of all, uh, I have a friend who works for uh, Northrop Grumman and uh, would you believe it if I told you that working for Northrop Grumman uh, has required that they go into the office and continue to work because they are considered to be an essential employee. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I have to go buy cat litter today because, like, my cats, they like the fresh litter. And I have I mean, to go buy PetSmart. Fair. And I know PetSmart is going to be open because the people selling me my cat litter have been labeled as essential employees because the mm -hmm. definition of an essential employee isn't actually a real definition. All you need is a letter from your employer saying, no, we consider this person to be essential. And that makes you an essential employee. Like I yep. have one of those letters for the mutual aid network from power that says like, you know, Hey, Mr. Officer, this is a person engaged in essential work because a, I'm running a fucking mutual aid network and getting people yeah, fed is essential. And actually doing essential. But that's work. how low the bar is. That's literally what it is. All your boss has to do is sign a letter saying, "I need someone to flip burgers. It is essential that little Billy here be here to flip burgers. Make Billy risk his life to flip them fucking burgers." <sighs> yep. And so defense contractors, of course, uh, have to be essential as well. So we can't um, drone bomb other... the virus, Chris. I know, I know. But one other quick note uh, to tie this into some other fun uh, discussions in the glo in the world political scene. Well, more the not world political scene, the U.S. political scene. Uh, with uh, we're just going to tie this into Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Dr. Jill Biden. Real quick, would you believe me if I told you that Dr. Alan Mendoza, who is a founder and the executive director of the Henry Jackson Society, does not in fact have a medical doctorate? Would you believe me? It wouldn't surprise me. No, nah, he's got a PhD uh, from uh, Gonville and Caius College in Cambridge, uh, and his in and he was focusing on Anglo-American relations during the Bosnian War from ninety-two to ninety-five. So, yeah, let's just tie that one off with a bow, and uh, ugh, everything is so fucked. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's pretty bad. But here in Los Angeles, a lot of our tenants' rights organizers and people who are fighting the good fight and trying to build a, a just and equitable world have been uh, given some pretty rough warnings to our city council members. So let's talk about that because, like, there are places for you to direct your rage, and it feels really yes. good. Yeah, and so this basically in this time of social distancing. Uh, activists and organizers have quickly discovered that the best way to actually continue to do the work of agitating for change uh, is to engage in good social distancing while doing so. And I mean, you have to. And so the easiest way to do that is to uh, gather a whole bunch of people in their cars and drive around in a circle honking your horn uh, and doing it in the most obnoxious way possible to get attention from the people who are the target of your protest. And so uh, last week, folks were, or I guess a week and a half ago at this point, uh, folks did the first of these protests to really, you know, as far as I'm aware in Los Angeles, uh, targeted Mayor Eric Garcetti at his home and woke him up, uh, I think it was around seven in the morning, to make sure that he understood that there was a demand out there from folks in the Los Angeles Tenants Union and other, uh, you know, related ally organizations saying, hey, 
people are going to become homeless if you don't fucking do something. And like your bullshit eviction moratorium is not strong enough to actually provide the kind of protections that we need. And so this, these protest tactics have escalated and continued. Uh, Mitch O'Farrell has been hit. Nuri Martinez has been hit. Uh, when people were at the Mitch O'Farrell protest, one of his neighbors came out and uh, basically was spraying cars with a hose. Um, <laughs> until Sabrina chased him off. And Sabrina, again, you're a fucking legend and my hero, and you're amazing. Keep doing all the work that you're doing. I was just amazed how um, quickly he stood down. Like, <laughs> he, he put that hose away and went back inside, like, real quick. Um, to be fair. worse like, than his bite, obviously. Uh, yeah, but also Sabrina has uh, scared the hell out of people in city council chambers. So um, this is this is not the first time that she's gotten uh, some attention from people and made them uh, step down or uh, actually end up having to have the cops called on her a couple of times. Uh, anyway, these protests are basically the most effective form of direct action that we have at this point, uh, aside from like a universal rent strike or, or rather a general strike or rent strikes. Those kinds of things are also incredibly effective, but much more dangerous for folks. But Nuri Martinez apparently decided to start uh, calling the cops on these protesters, and they actually gave out tickets for honking horns, which... Ex like, misuse of the horn, I think, was the... Misuse? It just what? And here's the thing. Like, LAPD thinks that you as a driver have a fundamental right to run someone over if they're on a bike oh, or yeah, on foot 100%. in the street, as long as you stop and give your information. Like, as long mm -hmm. as you stop and stay at the scene of the accident, you running over yep. another human being well within your protected rights. Waking up Nuri fucking Martinez, who won't hold city council meetings, despite the legal mandate that she do so, a bridge too far, not protected speech. And apparently, whether or not honking your horn is protected First Amendment speech is still working its way through the courts. <laughs> no, I'm serious about this. I, I got this tip from uh, from Jacob Butcher on Twitter. The, the, oh, there are fuck. cases out there. And the case law on it is a little bit split. So we're going to have to wait a few years for that to That's finally insane. be decided. That's absolutely also, insane. Also, they were giving out tickets for people not having a front license plate on their car. So he, if you are going to do this, put license plates on both sides. Well, yeah, unless, you're, uh, unless your car is registered like out of state. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, you are supposed to have two license plates on your car in the state of California if it's registered here. But I was going to say the other thing is if you get one of these tickets, I don't know what the enforcement is. The, the courts are closed for another like <laughs> 60 to 90 days. And even once they get reopened, they're going to be backlogged with all the work that they've had to put to the side. So like... Yep. I don't like and I it's my understanding that the in order for a ticket like this to be valid like they have to choose to take action on it within a certain amount of time like they have to choose that they're actually going to like pursue the ticket for you so I have a feeling like the cops are just wasting paper and they can't actually ever enforce any of this um but it, that's not going to stop them I just find it you know ridiculously fucking hilarious that we still have LAPD going through the motions that the rule of law is still 100% in effect when literally all of the institutions of the rule of law are totally shut down Yeah and this also brings up uh some other related stuff when it comes to people going on rent strike like there's a legitimate possibility here that even if you are served with court papers or tickets or any of these other things, if you're able to gum up the gears of our justice system by demanding jury trials, you basically won't have to deal with any of this stuff for like a very, very long time. And even if it does, if, if you get to a jury trial 
uh, or you're able to plead in front of a judge about, you know, you know, you were trying to you were engaging in a protest action and you were honking a horn to demand that people not be put out onto the streets. I think you can make a pretty compelling argument to get a judge to throw that fucking ticket out. Just just saying. I mean, I'm not giving legal advice because I'm not a lawyer, but oh, man, it would be. It would be interesting to see how that would work its way through the courts. Yeah, it's going to the, the L.A.'s legal criminal legal system was already broken before. This. Yeah, and it's not getting it's not going to get any better because of no, the the crisis and the lockdown and the suspension of that business. Uh, it's going to be really bad. And, you know, before we before we yep. move on fully, since we are mentioning jails, uh, this is a good time to get on your abolitionist bullshit, to demand that people be released from jails oh, and yeah. from prisons, that people who do absolutely not need to be there should be released. Nonviolent offenders, people on non nonviolent drug charges, people who are just uh, not able to pay their bail, they should not be yep. warehoused in incredibly unsanitary conditions where health problems on a normal day already kill too many prisoners. And we've had like yep. several judges and federal rulings on how poorly our prison systems are run in the midst of a pandemic. It is a moral and ethical obligation to free every person who does not absolutely positively need to be in jail or in prison right now. And that is something that Governor yeah. Newsom could do fucking immediately. Like we yes, know that Prop 47 has not led to an increase in crime. We know that there are better and more effective ways to take care of people when they're outside and still keep tabs on them, like have their parole officers be in contact, make sure that they're doing their check-ins. But the vast majority of people who are being held, like 50% of the people that are in our jails are just there because they can't pay bail. They haven't been convicted of yeah. a crime. They are literally, definitionally not criminals. They should not be in a cage. So it was I was actually just listening to the citations needed episode about this. It's more than 95 percent of people in jails are there who are, are in the jails, not the prisons, but in the jails are there because they have, you know, because of bail. Yeah. And it's I mean, the fact that I get tying this back to New York again, Andrew Cuomo, like Rikers prison is going to kill thousands of people. Literally thousands of people are going to die, and a lot of them are there for bullshit fucking reasons. Like if you're there because you know you you've got a parole violation, you, that shouldn't be a fucking death sentence. But this incompetent shitbag, who is being lauded as a potential presidential candidate, is the one who's got the fucking blood on his hands. Yep. For all of the uh, uh, just. Uh, but also, uh, really quick, YJC and a bunch of other folks did some really amazing work with a, another car protest that had hundreds of people out there circling around the Civic Center in downtown Los Angeles, demanding that the uh, Board of Supervisors uh, get on their shit and actually start to fucking release prisoners uh, from the L.A. County jail system. It, it's, it's heartening to see this. Like, we got to don't forget about the most vulnerable people in our society. Like they are the ones who are going to be completely fucked by this virus. And we really need to be stepping up measures to get them uh, the kind of protection and just give them, use the human decency that you should have for this Yeah, and get people out, get people home, get people safe because parole violations shouldn't be a fucking death sentence. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on to our next topic and talk about the St. Vincent's hospital drama that involves the owner of the, uh, LA times, uh, a yeah. hospital that apparently wasn't making enough money to stay open and some possible future yep. plans for it. 
Yeah, so a little bit of quick background on this. The St. Vincent's Hospital is the one that is visible right off the 101 freeway uh, on the south side of it as you're going toward downtown. It's uh, been a basically abandoned, shuttered building for quite some time now. It was in bankruptcy because, as you mentioned, it was not making enough money, which just boggles the mind that healthcare systems have to make enough money to stay open, but whatever. Uh, the LA Times is reporting on this, and it, it's, it's interesting on this one because uh, they're ta- it's the guy at the center of all this is Patrick, Dr. Patrick Sunshong, who is the owner of the LA Times and is a real estate investor amongst other things, but really made his money in the medical industry with patents on uh, medical technology, which... You know, there were some stories that were circulating uh, a year or so ago about the fact that uh, he was engaged in buying up hospitals or getting interests in hospitals, controlling interests, and then having those hospitals invest in all of this modern technology that they couldn't really afford to invest in, but he happened to have patents on. And so a bunch of like alleged self-dealing kind of things well, and I mean, now, and that, that makes a lot of sense because the building that the L.A. Times moved into is owned by uh, Dr. Sun Shang. Yeah. And then he sold off the, uh, you know, they moved out of their buildings, the L.A. Times buildings that say L.A. Times in big stone letters uh, in downtown because uh, that's real estate, baby. Well, and also just to, um, to flag one more thing, the L.A. Times still does not have a downtown L.A. fucking bureau and their two yep. L.A. City reporters do not have stable offices to work out of, paid for yep. by a fucking billionaire. Yep. So, uh, let's just go into the reporting on this, um, because it, it's just, everything is weird. So, quote, uh, this is from the L.A. Times, quote, After California Attorney General Javier Becerra raised objections Wednesday, to the proposed sale of a closed Los Angeles hospital, Dr. Patrick Sunsiong said he would seek a to purchase the medical campus personally rather than use a foundation controlled by him and his wife, Michelle B. Chan. Uh, so this is basically surrounding allegations uh, of potential self-dealings um, because that's kind of a thing he's got a history with. So anyway... Yeah, kind of. So this uh, this objection was promptly overruled, as was reported in the L.A. Times yesterday. Quote, a federal bankruptcy judge on Friday approved the sale of a shuttered Los Angeles hospital to Dr. Patrick Sunshung, who plans to create a coronavirus research facility on the campus. Judge Ernest M. Robles signed an order authorizing the sale of St. Vincent Medical Center for $135 million to Sunshung. So, so, yeah, so I guess that also kind context of puts a, a nail in the coffin of the idea of using it for permanent supportive housing, which had also been floated uh, by Mitch O'Farrell. So this, yeah, exactly. So there, there was a um, a few months ago, which it seems like a lifetime ago at this point. Uh, Mitch O'Farrell had been floating the idea of the city hopping in, buying this campus, and turning it into a supportive housing facility or something along those lines. Uh, there were rumors that the county was trying to hop in there, uh, and now it looks like uh, Patrick Sunshong is going to be buying this facility uh, through his. Uh, foundation, as far as I can tell. Uh, and then they will be leasing the facility to the state of California, who will then be setting it up as a coronavirus research facility. And the state of California will be paying the paying for the lease on the building to Dr. Dr. Sun Xiong, uh, as well as providing staff, which the staff will all be paid for by the state of California. So 
Um, yeah, wow, he's real really, estate speculation, baby. Yeah, he's really good at the self dealing. <laughs> like that's yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, so maybe um, billionaires shouldn't own everything. Like maybe if the state is paying everyone there, the state exist. should own the facility and just run it itself, rather than like. Paying God rent to it. a guy that's got enough money that he can mathematically never go broke. Like, I don't know. Crazy. Weird times, Chris. Uh, still demanding that renters, like, pay their rent on time even though they lost their job. But, hey, a billionaire who has corruptly bought a, a closed hospital, we're totally going to pay that guy's rent. Uh, yep. All right, let's uh, Yay. let's move on to other <laughs> things that, uh, that should also uh, be canceled. Uh, Specifically, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Well, now the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Uh, it took them a while, but they finally decided, hey, in the midst of a pandemic, we will not be holding the Olympics. And now there are some questions as to uh, whether or not the 2021 games are going to have to be pushed back. But let's uh, let's rip into this article by uh, Albert Corrado writing for uh, Knock.LA. Yeah, so uh, real quick note, it's still technically going to be called the 2020 Games, even if it's taking place in 2021. But as you pointed out, uh, this week's the Olympics were in the news again. Alongside virtually all sporting events around the world, the Summer Olympics were, that were scheduled to take place in Tokyo in July and August of this year have been scrapped due to the coronavirus panic. They were pushed back to next summer. Uh, July and August is there as well there. But this week, the CEO of the Japanese Olympic Planning Organization said that it's possible that the Games might not even happen in 2021, as we legitimately have no idea what the fuck is going on, and the state of world affairs next summer is something way too far in the future for us to be able to predict. But on April 8th, just two days before this news about a further delay of the Games broke, Ground Game member Albert Corrado published a piece on Knock.LA calling for the complete cancellation of the Games. And let's just read a couple of quotes from the article here, because uh, Albert's fantastic, and this is really good. Quote, the right and only thing to do is to cancel the 2020 games entirely and not only because of the pandemic, which is likely to still be roiling the global economy in 2021. The persistent ongoing threat, coronavirus or not, is what the Olympics do to cities in terms of policing, displacement, erosion of democracy, and diversion of resources. And these issues often get short shrift in deference to other narratives. He continues, by postponing the Olympics instead of canceling, Tokyo officials are allowing another year of continued forced displacement, heightened state of policing, and more brinksmanship with public health at large. We can see the consequences of not canceling the event here in L.A. just earlier this month. Three weeks ago, Garcetti and the city of L.A. allowed the L.A. Marathon to take place on March 8th, with 27,000 runners from around the world competing. Two days later, America would finally recognize the global scale of the pandemic when and if we make it to the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic, you can already hear our elected officials rebranding the 2028 Olympics as a healing moment for a city that knows how to, how to bounce back from adversity. Just as the Japanese government had dubbed the 2020 Games the Recovery Olympics, so too will our city hall exploit a time of hardship for a chance to attract sponsors, tourists, and the reestablishment of quote-unquote normalcy. So for yep. a bit of context here, this is the first time in history that the Olympics have actually been postponed during peacetime, with games in 1916, 1940, and 1944 being canceled because of world wars. And uh, so, the, the 84 uh, games, which were the last LA games, were actually an interesting case as well because of a boycott yeah. by the uh, USSR at the time 
uh, yeah. because the U.S. Uh, was objecting to uh, their foray into Afghanistan. And so it's yes. also one of the reasons <laughs> that the L.A. games appeared to turn a profit is we had four, far yep. fewer people visiting. We had fewer uh, visitors that we needed to handle. We had fewer athletes that we needed to handle. We were able to save costs because all of the Eastern Bloc countries sat out those games. And there are a large amount of not just the people that visit, but the athletes that attend. But Bushido... We won so many gold medals at that Olympics. I, you know, it's funny. I had a, <laughs> uh, I had a friend when I was growing up, uh, and in his living room, uh, his dad had a, a gold medal and a silver medal. Um, and I forget yeah. exactly what the sport was. It was a, an aquatic sport, um, but I forget it, exactly what what it was. But I remember mentioning this to my mom and being like, oh, you know, my friend's dad has a gold medal from the L.A. Olympics. And she was like, yeah, but... They were basically giving them away at those games. Those weren't like a real Olympics. <laughs> it's funny how when like the other global superpower and all of their you know allied countries don't participate, um, suddenly there's a lot more gold medals for U.S. athletes. Yep. <laughs> anyway. All right. So let's uh, go read the piece. It's good. Yeah. No, it's, Albert's it's really good. Uh, Albert has been absolutely kicking ass as one of our inventory volunteers. He's also yeah. been driving for us, like just all around amazing organizer in L.A. and super happy to finally be working with him. Uh, and also his writing is just like freaking amazing. Uh, and I yeah. also get a flag for folks. If you want to write for Knock, hit us up. We're looking to expand here pretty soon. We're going to have yes. some more media offerings coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, and we are always down to like get whoever wants to be involved involved. Uh, but let's let's shift gears. Uh, talking about uh, quote-unquote progressive media uh, and talk about the Young Turks and their unionizing campaign. So, you know, to sort of like give you a quick rundown, a few months ago, uh, IATSE uh, started organizing the Young Turks post-production and production staff so that they could, you know, have a union um, because the Young Turks has always been one of these companies that pays fairly low rates, uh, doesn't really treat their employees great. They did offer like decent-ish benefits. Like it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. But the employees obviously believed that they deserved more, especially when Cenk Wegar was going around and collecting, you know, million-dollar checks from like Jeffrey Katzenberg and other uh, venture capitalists in order to fund his like darling of a project. Uh, Cenk Wegar, uh, who was in the midst of absolutely getting destroyed in the (laughs) CA Congressional District 25 (laughs) election, uh, you know, he spent almost a million dollars and ended up with 4% of the vote. Uh, in two different elections, you know, because there's a special and the regular election. And Cenk just got absolutely obliterated um, and did not make any friends there. Like, nobody that I know that is organizing in CA25 uh, thinks that Cenk Wegar is somebody who will be back in the district or that they would want to work with even if he came back. But, so Cenk and his management team uh, did not want the employees to unionize and began a fairly uh, concerted effort to stop the unionization from happening. Uh, this included uh, uh, denying the employees a card check. So card check, if you're unionizing your workplace, there's kind of two different steps. The The first one is getting everyone to sign a card saying, I want a union. Now, under more... Um, permissive rules for unionizing uh, that like Bernie Sanders, for instance, would support, card check would be enough. If you show up with uh, a majority of the people in the workplace having signed a card saying, yes, I want a union, that should get you a union. Uh, But employers can push back on that and say, well, we don't trust the card check. We want there to be a secret ballot. Now, some in some states, they can require an open ballot, which is basically a way just to suppress the union vote to make sure that it doesn't happen. But in California, it has to be a secret vote. So Cenk Wegar pushed the union to go for a secret ballot, which they did. 
the secret the secret ballot was again in favor of unionization, and at that point, the Young Turks management finally caved and voluntarily uh, accepted the union. But this wasn't without uh, causing a lot of pain and consternation to Chank Wegar. And I want to read a couple of quotes he sent. Uh, some By all means. very hot take emails to his staff that show exactly <laughs> where his mind is at and why We're family man. Well, why he's not really a progressive when it comes down to it. He is yep. an old school capitalist and he fundamentally believes in his right to control this venture. But uh, so in an email to staff, he wrote, quote, before IATSE came in, I think we used to have a great relationship with everyone at the company, but maybe I am Michael Scott, and I thought we were friends and family, but you never saw it that way. First off, the friends and family line is bullshit, right? Like, I can't fire my friends. I can't fire my family. Like, yep. you fundamentally, if you're a business owner, you don't have family as your employees. They're employees. There is a power relationship yep. there that cannot be renegotiated because you're the one who controls their lives financially and economically. And in some cases, whether or not they have access to health care, whether or not they have access to a pension, whether or not they have access to sick days or paid vacation days and all of that stuff. Like, you fundamentally are a restrictive force on your employees and you're doing that by choice. And the whole friends and family thing is just a way to get your employees to drop their guard and to give you the benefit of the doubt. Like it's this attempt by people in those positions to do away with the antagonistic nature of employment for their own benefit. Like employees benefit when there is antagonism in the workplace, when employees are advocating for their rights and fighting for what they deserve against a management that is being retrenchful. This is something that management wants to do away with because they don't want you fighting with them. They want you to make their jobs easy. They want you to show up, be productive, take your your too little pay home and then show up yep. every day and just do the same thing. Because remember, you're making a dime. They're making a dollar. They don't want yep. you to fundamentally know that. Um, yep. You know, this also also the reference to him, you know, saying maybe I am Michael Scott. It's like, really, you got to make some office references in this shit. I mean, like. It's so it's such a lame reference to go for. Oh yeah. But uh, you Absolutely. know, this is also this comes on the heel of other companies like Kickstarter, which have held themselves up as progressive, suddenly finding that their employees want a union, being like, oh my gosh, I, I don't think you actually want a union, because they don't want employees to be empowered. They don't want to give up their ownership stakes in the company or have to negotiate with a concerted force of employees because that scares the crap out of them. Because that means that you can stop business from happening. That means you can stop them from making money. If you don't have a union and you stop working yourself, you're not going to hurt the bottom line too much. But if every employee in the company stops working, then the bottom line takes a really big impact. Now, Chenk sort of like also let us in on what he thinks about unions in the same letter uh, that he sent to employees on Friday. He said, quote, I've never said that a union is perfect under any circumstances. I've never said that a union is bad under all circumstances. I think they're very, very good under most circumstances. And if the right wing or even now some left wing can't do nuance and they think, no, the world is black and white and a union is either perfect in every circumstance or disaster in every circumstance, then honestly, they're idiots and totally wrong. And that should and that should be obvious to any rational human being. And while Chank is sitting here like trying to couch himself as the rational person, all he's really revealing mm -hmm. is that he doesn't like unions, right? Like, he doesn't yep. articulate why Young Turks shouldn't have a union. Like, the entertainment industry has been unionized 
for most of the last century, they are incredibly powerful unions in this city. But he doesn't want to have to compete with that power. He doesn't explain how the Young Turks is going to like raise everybody's salary up to $72,000 a year, give them Cadillac health plans, and you know double their contributions to, to their uh, pension plan. He doesn't talk about any of that stuff. He just says, well, I don't think it's right. And the reason he doesn't think it's right is because it threatens his power. And it's kind of disgusting and disturbing that Cenk has been able to give himself the mantle of a progressive media figure when his business model is so fundamentally opposed to that. And the way that he's conducted himself personally shows that that's not the case. When Cenk was trying to do the like subscribe to the Young Turks, he had gone out before that and secured tens of millions of dollars in venture capital to build the Young Turks. The model from there was supposed to be that users and viewers would pay a small sum a month to get exclusive content and that that would help generate enough profit to pay back the venture capitalists and allow the company to grow. None of that money was going to employees. None of that money was going to making sure that the people actually doing this work were better off. It was going to feed, it was going to feed, uh, Chang's pockets because he is the largest majority shareholder in the young Turks and making sure that his private business gets wealthier. So, you know, I'm going to wrap this up by just once again, throwing down the gauntlet to Chank Wegar and saying, make TYT a worker-owned cooperative and also maybe don't call it the Young Turks because, you know, yeah. genocide against the Armenians is bad, Chank. Whether you believe that our, that genocide happened or not, it did. Spoiler alert, it fucking did. You can maybe pick a brand that doesn't do that. Like, I, you know, if somebody yeah, tried to yeah. start, like, a progressive media outlet called, like, the Waffen SS, people would shit themselves. <laughs> Like, that would not fly. And there is no reason for us to treat the Armenian genocide as a historical afterthought or as something that we don't need to think about. It was the first mechanized, industrialized genocide in the history of the world, and we ignore it at our own peril. We have to understand its place within the 20th century and the way that it directly led to atrocities later in the 20th century. This is kind of like... Maybe it's a little bit of like a bone picking thing or like kind of a detail thing, but like for a lot of my friends who are Armenian... They know what that name means. It has an intimidating uh, ring to it. They have grandparents and great-grandparents who died in that in that genocide or who survived that genocide, but not unscarred and unscathed. We have to give some sort of historical weight to that kind of suffering. And we really, really, really should start by getting the Young Turks renamed because it's really fucking disgusting when you see where that name came from and why Chank picked that. Remember, he was a right-wing shock jock back in Philadelphia. He's still never come to account or been held to account for his views on Mumia Abu-Jamal or any of the other terrible things that he said when he was a right-wing shock jock. He just sort of rebranded himself in the 90s because he realized that he didn't want to be a George W. Bush Republican. You know, he basically turned into a Clinton Republican, but a Clinton Republican who understood that there was a desire for people to get another perspective on the news, and he exploited that to his own profit and benefit. And now that he's being held to account on those progressive beliefs and actually act like a progressive, he doesn't want to effing do it. So, you know, I don't watch the Young Turks yep. anymore. I don't really know anyone who does. Neither do I. It's kind of a dumb formulaic thing. I feel like people got into it for a bit and then grew beyond it. Um, and that Cenk yep. is, is now realizing that his brand hasn't grown in the last five years. Like their offerings haven't changed. They haven't gotten any better at articulating what it is they're doing or what their progressive vision no. is. And they're all over the board when it comes to like who they politically support. And it's, it's kind of yep. a freaking mess. Um, but I think at least in this case, I'm really, really excited 
decided that the workers at the Young Turks got themselves a union, that they were able to beat Cenk fair and square, and that they're going to be able to move forward as a stronger, more coordinated force. And that is exactly what we need to see happening in progressive media across the board. Absolutely. And it's worth pointing out here that in the political coverage of this dispute, uh, they have to, of course, loop in uh, president's, uh, presidential candidate Sanders. Uh, of course, they bring Bernie into this, where they're talking about, they, they say, even Sanders' presidential campaign was caught in an early fractious fight with its union over some employee demands that they be paid the equivalent of $15 minimum wage that Sanders was fighting for. They then link to a Yeah, that Washington wasn't actually Post. the fight that Sanders was having. Like, <laughs> exactly. they, they're literally just lying about that one, and it's oh, yeah. kind of amazing. But the fact that there's a Washington Post article that they then link to that's 1,500 words digging into an argument, and they're making it out to be all about a $15 minimum wage. Like, Bernie gave better wages, benefits, and everything to his campaign staff than any other campaign in presidential campaign history in this country. Like it's just the fact like, ah, oh, the, the, the media is so fucking biased and out to get the him. Sanders campaign is paying the healthcare benefits of their workers through October, through October. Like, come on. This is anyway, he, he was too good for that race. Um, but of course he was still like a, he was the compromise candidate. He wasn't left enough on a lot of things like the positions relating to reparations, like the positions related to boycott, divestment and sanctions. Like these are things that we on the left had to make concessions for to support Bernie. And it's just like, look, we know that he's, we can move him on these things, but now we're stuck with a fucking presidential candidate that doesn't even remember where he is or what day it is. And he's supposed to be running the country in six months. Like, Ah, no, 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 no. Because here's the fuck. thing, Chris, is just like Obama, <laughs> Biden won't be running the country. He's going to give the keys to the castle over to Goldman Sachs and <laughs> J.P. Morgan Chase and Northrop Grumman. And he's going to let that cabinet of wealthy, terrible people run the country because that's ultimately what the DNC wants is kind of an oligarchy of the white collar and an oligarchy of the Ivy League. And whoever's sitting in the White House is really yep. secondary to it. I think like, this, you know, to flashback yeah. to when I used to listen to Chapo, Matt Chrisman had a good point after Trump got elected. And he's like, look, if this brainless idiot can be the one in the pilot's chair and the plane doesn't crash, right. maybe you have to ask the question, <laughs> the <pilot. laughs> does that position really matter all that much? Is that where the power is situated in this system? a very valid point yeah all right well let's uh unfortunately there you know we're we're still social distancing so there aren't too many uh get togethers uh going on uh which is both unfortunate and also really really good um but we do have some stuff coming up uh again i'm gonna flag this every week uh 7 30 on thursday evenings we've got the ground game weekly meeting uh we had like 35 people on there last week yeah it was it was cool um anybody who wants to drop in see what we're doing get involved just like see how we run a meeting, see what our, our, you know, pretty faces look like some prettier than others. Mine being on the other's end. Um, (laughs) we, we would love to have you. We will share the link. You know, you can ping us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can send an email to info at groundgamela.org. We will get you the link. We really, really want to use this opportunity to expand our reach out to people digitally to show you what we're doing and that it's not that scary and that you can get involved doing this stuff too. You know, none of us are like Harvard educated 
political scientists or people with lots of degrees in what we're doing. We're just folks who are like, shit is broken. We can fix this. And then we've been working to do that. And you can do it too. Like you can step into that power. It is really good. It is really exciting. And especially in this period of time when we need to be building the resilient networks that we're going to need to survive the climate crisis, now is the time to cut your teeth on organizing. Get out there, get active, come join us. 100%. And if you are interested in taking part in some of those car protests that we were talking about earlier, there will be more of those happening. Uh, People, you know, the cops are still going to be called. People are still going to be running a risk of getting tickets for like window tint or uh, taillights being out, any of these things. But hopefully they'll stop the whole, you know, honking your horn with malice bullshit. Um, But... Uh, it, it, stay stay in the loop if you're interested in participating in those. Um, Los Angeles Tenants Union is organizing a, most of them that I'm aware of, uh, but other organizations are as well. Get plugged in with them and uh, participate. They've also got their own Zoom meetings. Uh, I get texts about the Vibe, uh, which is the Vermont E. Beverly uh, chapter of the Los Angeles Tenants Union. They've been doing weekly uh, Zoom meetings or, or biweekly Zoom meetings. And uh, hop in and get involved. There's lots of ways to be plugged in digitally. Uh, We'll include a couple of links to folks in the description. Um, But yeah, as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing, or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or by email over at podcast at groundgamela.org. This podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. Support our work on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Check the description for sources, links to actions, and social media links. Thank you all so much for listening to us in this time of extreme social isolation and you know dealing with depression and everything else that comes along with it, uh, existential crisis that it is. Uh, we love you all and thank you so much for helping us to get through all of this together. Yes. Thank you all so much for your support and for listening. And so, uh, to play us out, I'm going to, uh, just let the track mama economy by Tay Zonday, uh, go ahead and run. Cause it is basically oh. an economics one-on-one lesson in a, a jaunty yeah. little tune featuring Lindsay Sterling. Thank you all much. Love y'all. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye. Are you confused about the economy? Well, have no fear. I'm going to explain the American economy right now. The dollar, just think of it like a promise from the government, but the value of the dollar has to be there to be relevant. The value of the dollar comes from China and Iran when they put the cash reserves in a U.S. dollar plan. They buy treasury bonds from the Federal Reserve. We say we owe you extra money because you gave us some of yours. That's a big part of the national debt. All the interest that we haven't paid in China quite yet. And a hundred other countries because we're such a good investment. The whole world gives us money. We say, hey, we'll pay you interest. This is how money is created from air. Bank bailout federal budget money isn't really there. It's an IOU. Remember, dollars are promised when you borrow from a bank and not from other depositors. The money for your loan gets created on the spot. Then they put it in your name, gamble on your life and body. But if you lose your job, then you were a bad bet. If a million lose your jobs, then we have a recession. Here's the dirty secret. Your labor's too expensive. Wall Street wants you spending money, but they never want to pay you. In your life, cash and credit, they are very different things. But you credit someone else's cash once it leaves your name. This is why money is debt, and your debt is good for Wall Street prosperity. And economic growth since the 1970s. 
earnings is consumers getting credit without wages increasing. So when they talk about the housing crisis, they never say we need to lower housing prices. We need better devices to afford high prices, meaning higher debt, lower just because you're underpaid to begin with. That's the cycle we're in, we don't understand. So all we can do is question mama. Economy make me understand all the numbers. Why daddy's all a welfare plan turning 30, 40, 50. Gotta move in with my parents and the stocks go up, but the jobs disappear. Yeah, mama, you gotta me make me understand all the numbers. Why daddy's on a welfare plan turning 30, 40, 50. Gotta move in with my parents and the stocks go up. But the jobs disappear Because wages barely grew for 40 years When you buy stuff, they delay the cost of ownership You can't afford it, so they make it to depend on In the small transactions, which is like renting You pay more for printing than you do for gold And more for bottled water than you do for oil Razor blades are made to oxidate So you're forever in debt to them Just to shame, it's a type of socialism Called market socialism The best designed product meets a need and doesn't last We subsidize waste with landfills And holidays like Earth they teaching kids recycle please but kids don't learn in school we live one worldview neoliberal economics and all of their politics they don't ask why corporations are human citizens or why grandma pays more taxes because she lacks stock dividends or why private bankers print the public money or why democracy is broken because their leaders won't be cutting loopholes and subsidies for constituent industries putting legislative bodies in a deep freeze so the phds and the geds cry with iron ran down at the temp agency saying we believed in meritocracy but there's more to the story Answer me, mama. Economy make me understand all the numbers. Why daddy's on a welfare plan. Turning 30, 40, 50. Gotta move in with my parents and the stocks go up. But the jobs disappear. Yeah, mama. Economy make me understand all the numbers. Why daddy's on a welfare plan. Turning 30, Gotta move in with my parents and the stocks go up, but the jobs disappear. Mama, economy make me understand all the numbers. Why daddy's on a welfare plan turning 30, 40, 50. Gotta move in with my parents and the stocks go up, but the jobs disappear